Man, he can, he can forget any book he wants after that steak dinner he cooked for me. That almost wrecked the service tonight. It really almost did. I gave him that, that uh, camp meeting line. Better have something ready tonight in case the Lord tells me you're supposed to preach. They always say the, the Lord told me I'm supposed to still get the love offering, but you're supposed to preach. That's camp meeting talk. But uh, that, that almost did wipe the service out. What a good meal that was. Holy mackerel. And by the way, speaking of love offerings, what is this business for Brother Grady and his wife? You want to give her something, you give her a little basket. That money's going to me. I ain't sharing that with her. Yeah, give her a pen. Yeah, praise God. Give her two pens. Hallelujah. Man, I owe my wife a lot, though. She's, uh, she's my helpmate, man. You men, wake up. You ladies, hang in there. Your husband's 98% ego and 2% fat head. But over the years, he finally wakes up. That is, the Bible gives you that, Proverbs 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also. It takes a while for that man to wake up to what a good, got a good woman. <clears throat> you ever see Home Alone? If you're not that spiritual to be in the Bible, you ever seen Home Alone there? They're in the truck at the end of the scene, in the movie, you know, and the, the poker man. John Candy says, now take Joe over there. He doesn't even know how many kids he has. Bill, he's never even met his kids. That's how husbands and fathers grow up. It's a Father's Day. But we don't realize uh, we got a good woman sometimes standing there with us all those years. Until you get to the end of the road, then you wake up. And then you start singing that song from Fiddler on the Roof. I don't remember growing older. Who are you? Oh, you're my wife. Praise God. But uh, you know, one thing about my wife, she gave me my first Bible for a wedding present. I've shared some of this again. I'm here enough times now to repeat the most important things in my life to the people I feel a little closer to. And on my wedding day, man, we're in the backseat of a limousine. Some guy's driving it that had a little funny, I wasn't going to mention his name now with Facebook anymore, but it was one of my customers for British Airways, and he had a crush on me, amen. And he was near me to the end. He, had, he grabbed the, the limo, and I'm in the back seat, and he's crying. <laughs> I broke his heart. I'm in the back seat. He's driving me to the airport. And we, we uh, opened up the wedding presents, and I gave my wife a nice little uh, charm bracelet, and uh, I think I got it at Walmart, if I remember right. And uh, just seeing if you're listening. Amen. And she gave me a shirt size box like that, you know, gift wrapped, open it up. Giant print King James Bible. Hey, God gave me a Baptist wife from Virginia. You got to know Virginia's place in Baptist history. Who gave me a King James Bible for a wedding present. And I was saved in Philadelphia eight days later in Clarence Larkin's home church. And then I went to C.I. Schofield School six months later, Philadelphia College of the Bible. You can't make stuff like that up. God's working in your life. And, and uh, he mentioned final authority. I figured uh, I have to showcase certain books because there's always new people in the church. This morning we talked about three of them. And, uh, but uh, this is, uh, we, just, we just passed a milestone on this. March the 8th was 30 years this came out. I mentioned I just had 1,200 delivered uh, you know, two weeks ago. 16th printing. It keeps on selling over 30 years because it's a very important book. And a lot of folks have gotten it over the years. And uh, I, I dedicated the book to my wife. And uh, she gave me my first Bible. But I conned her, amen. She was my proofreader even back in 93. And so we sent a fake manuscript, fake dedication page to the printer, R.R. Donnelly, the largest printer in the world at that time. And it was dedicating to somebody else. And I worked with Donnelly. I said, I'm going to slip you the real dedication page. I'll mail it to you. And it was to my wife. I didn't want her to know it. So we get the first book out of the first box, you know, 1993. 
And you know how mother looks for the ten toes and ten fingernails and, no, ten fingers, <laughs> ten fingernails. You know, when a baby's born and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, she's looking from the copyright page, title page, and then she gets to the dedication page. And when she read that on the couch, we're sitting next to each other. Man, her, it was an explosion, right, you know, of tears. I mean, they flew out like a fire hydrant. I used to open a fire hydrant as a little kid in New York. Remember those days? It says, uh, th this volume is affectionately dedicated to my faithful helpmeet, Linda Shannon, for being that special angel of providence from whose hands I received my first King James Bible. A woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. So, uh, you know, if you want to learn more about your Bible and why the King James Bible is the right Bible, you know, you need to do some work. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman. Buy the truth. No Obama money. No, no welfare. You got to buy the truth. You got to pay, pay to learn stuff, right? And a book on Israel out there took 18,000 hours to write. True story on a time study. So anyway, but uh, I, I often think, people say, if you only had one commercial to make for the King James Bible, why somebody should get it, and why they should chuck the crazy modern Bibles. Uh, uh, you know what I often think? The Lord just impressed me here. I made a note at the last minute. Uh, I want to show you something crazy. You won't believe this. Turn to Judges real quick. I'm just going to give, you know, you're spoiled here in a good church. You know, that uh, when my wife was dating me in University of Delaware, she had a goofy New American Standard Bible. One of her friends who went to uh, Oral Roberts gave it to her. She said, I never got anything out of it. And no kidding. And, and so she had enough brains to give me a King James Bible for a wedding present. But look, you want to see, this is just, this is off. I'm only here a day, so I, 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 miss, I, I miss the place when I'm not here. Can I stay here? Uh, one verse, Judges 4.4, 4, And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. Look at verse 5. And she dwelt under the what? The palm tree, okay? The Hebrew word, and I'm no Hebrew or Greek expert. The Hebrew, I'm too busy helping people and learning my English Bible the study of dead language. I got my first Greek word in the Greek florist where I worked in New York City, George Komates, Danos florist. I forgot to bring the receipt back from delivering some flowers and I made an excuse and George Komates says to me, my name is Basilius in Greek, Bill. He said, Basilius, that's a lot of Bologna. That was my first Greek word. You see that palm tree there? The Hebrew word that's for a palm tree is the word that's in the, in the Hebrew text for judges there. So the English translation comes up palm tree. That's what it is. NIV, ESV, whatever messed up thing you want to talk about, all say palm tree. That's because that's right. Now turn real quick to Jeremiah 10. If you want to fight Christmas trees, and don't come to me if that's what you want to do. I'm an ex-Catholic. I'm not giving up my bail bush for anybody. I'll give you Santa Claus. I'll give you the, you know, Halloween and then the uh, Easter Bunny, but you ain't thinking about getting my Christmas tree. I'll kill you over that. That's right. Jeremiah 10. So here, if you want to fight Christmas trees, though, here's where you go for that. You know, this tree, deck the, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. Verse, uh, blah, blah, verse 3, for the customs of the people are vain, for one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe, they deck it with silver, decked all with, that's where you want to go if you want to fight Christmas trees. But I want you to look at verse 5. They are upright as the what? Palm tree. Okay? 
What do you think the Hebrew word is in the book of Jeremiah underneath Jeremiah 10.5 in the Hebrew language? You've got an English translation of the Bible, right? You know what it is? Exact same word in Judges. That's why it comes up palm tree here. Duh. Don't look in your ESV or your NIV. You might have a heart attack. You know what it says in the NIV? Like a scarecrow in a melon patch. Okay, go look it up if you think I'm nuts. Can't make this stuff up. And in and, and 1984, the NIV came out. <clears throat> in 2011, the 400th anniversary of the King James Bible, thank you, the new NIV came out. And I remember the USA Today front page headline, one of the editors, they quoted them. For the new, the new version of the NIV, it said, I promise you, if I'm lying, may the Lord smack him right in his head. I didn't say him because I don't want. I might get it wrong. I think it's right. This time we're going to get it right. Would I lie to you? You know what it said in the new one? Like a like like a scarecrow in a cucumber patch. They improved it from melon patch to cucumber patch. What the snot has it got to do with a with a scarecrow? It's the same word. Okay, and there, that's the crowd that makes fun of you for being old-fashioned. So much for all of that. Turn in your Bible to the book of Galatians. That was a free commercial from my new book, from my old book, Final Authority. And by the way, thank you. So many of you bought books uh, today. I appreciate that. They're just there to help you. Hey, my book, What If God Wrought? I mean, I got a letter from Judge Roy Moore on that book. Remember the Ten Commandments, Judge? He couldn't tell me enough good stuff in a nice letter, read it. Jesse Helms, remember him? Senator No, he wrote me a wonderful letter. Jesse, crazy uh, Sean Hannity, some preacher friend of mine on Long Island gave him a copy. I don't know if he's read it, but that book's gotten around. Uh, Colonel Oliver North, a preacher friend of mine, gave him a copy of Holy Ground, the Israel book. And I talk about Oliver North in that book of all things. Thank God it was good stuff I said about him. Say amen right there. But uh, yay, you snooze, you lose. The, the truth's going to get out there. Would you read about the verse in Esther? If you don't help us, God's going to get the job done and use somebody else. That truth is there whether you will study it out or not, okay? All right, I'm trying to find Galatians because I can't remember where it is. I'm stalling up here. That steak dinner, I said, destroyed the service almost. All right, Galatians chapter 6. Why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word together? Give you a nice seventh inning stretch. You ever find those Bible verses that look like they contradict each other? And, you know, they, they don't. They just need right division. Holy Spirit help you. Some, a lot of times your pastors can help you with a verse that confuses you. You don't need to stay confused. Uh, answer a fool according to his folly. What's the next verse? Answer not a fool according to his folly. I mean, that would throw a person, wouldn't it? Okay? Now, Dr. Ruckman used to say the King James Bible is the most deceptive book ever been written. Confuse people if they're looking for an excuse to stay away from the Lord. He'll give them all the references they want to break their neck. And that's a, oh, steak dinner. Just burp. Come on, Lord, help me now. All right, you want to see another confusing looking contrast? Watch this one. Brethren, if a man be overtaken, chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Now watch verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. It's a good verse, isn't it? What are you going to do with verse 5? For every man shall what? Bear his, 
bears own burdens. Now, which one is it? I mean, that verse puzzled me on and off for several years. But boy, did the Lord explain it to me recently. If you don't mind, you know, if you don't mind, and I know you don't mind, but I'm a very, I'm going to deal with some private things now to help you. And I'm a very, old, old Catholics are like that, right? I'm an ex-Catholic. I'm, I'm not a GoFundMe page person. Don't get mad. I'm not trying to be ugly. I don't shake hands like a missionary. Amen. I'm just private. You know? And for me to talk about stuff uh, is, is not normal, but I know God gave me a, burden, a message since my son went to heaven, and he's kind of almost forced me to preach it, you know, until I got to seeing how God has used it. So now I'm, gl I'm really glad to do it, but I do not do it everywhere I go. I got to feel like I know the people. You, you don't understand that, right? So you folks are so good to me, and I, I, I love this church. I really do. And I, and I want to be a blessing to you if you let me now. And if you don't mind, I'll testify more than preach now. And, but I've got some things that I know will, will help you. Well, like they say in North Carolina, Dr. Grady's here to help us. And when I leave, they say, he really hoped us. Don't miss my humor at a time like this. I'm trying to teach you through that. You'll get that by slow freight. Father, I pray that you'll help me now to be a conduit like Jack Howes taught us to try to be, to speak through us as we present your word. I pray now that you'll uh, meet with us in great power and manifest your holy presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <coughs> if I had to use one Bible verse to describe and you'll forgive me if I read more because I don't preach this a lot now and it's just something on paper more than, any, than any, uh, an old outline in my heart and mind. If I had to use one Bible verse to describe what happened to our 46-year-old son Danny at about 10.20 p.m. Central Standard Time on Wednesday, December the 28th, at exit 58 on Interstate 40, at the Clarksville exit, Clarksville, Arkansas exit, it would be Genesis 5.24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Four state troopers told my younger son, who's a detective in the Blunt County Sheriff's Department, that the evidence at the accident scene looks like he had a medical issue behind the wheel. You know, it's so scientific now. They study the tread marks. They can tell you how fast the car is going off the cell phone of the person. And they can tell most of the time, and strangely enough, our son had had back-to-back -back heart attacks within a few minutes about three years ago and, uh, in Arkansas, and he was having chest pains the week of his passing, but he had an annual checkup coming up, and so he was just putting it off for a few more days, and so the theory is he probably had a widow-maker heart attack, and, and uh, he was only 40, 46, and, and I had a heart attack a few years before that. Nobody above me, uncles, aunts, anybody had heart, heart issues. So it's strange how that comes and goes. You know, the, 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 when he had his heart attacks about three years earlier, we were, my wife happened to be with me in uh, Mike Gray's church in Jellicoe, Kentucky. And you know, on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, I can't remember which, but we found out what happened. Good night, we jumped in our cars and drove all the way to Arkansas, emergency room, through the night, just barely, just stopping for gas, Harley, and quick potty break, but man, we just raced through, pulled in about 7.30 in the morning, right in front of the emergency room doors, 
He's getting ready to roll in the surgery. We rush in there and we got there just in time to have prayer with him. And his faithful mother, like any mother in this room here that's faithful to her profession, you know, kind of fell on his bed, his body, just praying for him. And, uh, you know, the Lord, I guess she got a hold of God because he just pulled through the surgery, had like four bypass surgery. Again, totally in shape kind of young man. And, and he wanted them, but he couldn't get them. Mama was there. This time, God said, no way. She couldn't pray for him. I'm in uh, Pell City, Alabama, preaching for David Wood on a Wednesday night. Went to sleep in, in their church camp in a, by myself in a little cabin somewhere. Two o'clock in the morning. You know those phone calls. As my, my son, who does death notifications all the time, the police notified my uh, uh, daughter-in-law, who was in Florida, or, or Texas, uh, Texas, in a, some kind of a basketball tournament, one of her girls, and and then she called my wife, and then, and then my wife called my son. There's a policeman. He came over to be with her, and then he turned around and called me. And he said it was the hardest death notification he had to make. He's a detective, but he's also the chaplain for the state police and a chaplain for the sheriff's department. And, um, but, you know, what happened was he, was, uh, he, went, off the, he went off the Interstate 40, right by an exit there, Clarksville exit. And he went, I don't know, almost 500 feet and then hit an embankment. And went airborne 80-something feet, hit the ground, and the car rolled several times. And he went out the side window. And, uh, you know, so we're wondering what in the world kind of, this is going to be terrible, no, no open casket, you know. But sure enough, you're talking about how God does stuff for mamas. And uh, we had an open casket. And he had a scratch on his eye, just a little scratch. I mean, the car rolled over and landed right side up facing the way it came in. And he was on the ground right next to the driver's, you know, front wheel. And, and on top of having just a little scratch and the fact that we could have an open casket, he had a smile on his face. You know, not this, but just a smile enough you could see a smile. It rested my attention. I asked the funeral director, How, what in the world is this all about? He says, I'm something, Reverend, you can't do that here. I mean, maybe a multimillionaire could do something with plastic surgery, but under any normal conditions, it is or it isn't. And very rarely do you see a smile on a corpse. I think the Lord did that for his mother. I really do. Look, you don't even have to be saved to understand that. Did anybody ever see the Godfather before you ever got saved? I mean, I did, duh. Look what they did to my boy. He tells the funeral director, fix him up. I don't want his mother to see him like that. That's just, the world understands that. You know, I'll tell you something funny, uh, funny, but unique to today being Father's Day. The, uh, he died on a Wednesday. We had the funeral the following Wednesday in Arkansas. The next morning, everybody left, you know. The family that was there, you know. See, he worked in Arkansas. His home office was in Knoxville. He lived in Arkansas, and so he'd go back and forth uh, and... Um, about 12 hours. His, his first wife, unfortunately, divorced him after 20 years of five children. And so his kids are back there. You know, you know how a lot of our fragmented families anymore gather up the fragments that none remain. That'd be a good text for the rapture. He's going back and forth all the time. 
And uh, so we're leaving the funeral home, hotel ministry, you know, after the that morning after. My son-in-law's going one, you know, going back to Tennessee with my, uh, my wife. I'm driving her car because I lost my Honda Pilot in a car accident. Total, it got totaled out two weeks before my son died. You know, look, the devil's real out there, and he'll mess with you, and, and he'll mess with any of you if you're bothering him. I haven't run into him lately. Well, maybe you're going in the same direction. Say amen right there. And, uh, and, and then my son, the policeman, and his wife and his family, they go back to Tennessee, and I go the other direction to go to Texas to preach. And uh, anyway, my son and son-in-law both tried to find the accident scene. They had an idea of where it was supposed to be, but they, they never were able to locate it, the exact spot. They were in the general vicinity, they told me, you know. Well, six, I don't know, six weeks later, I was out in Arkansas preaching, see, and I wanted to find that accident site. And uh, I went to the state police because the Holy Spirit put that on my heart three miles away from the accident site, the barracks. And they gave me a, pulled out a map off the report, you know, and a trooper helped me figure, try to figure it out because I'm pretty dumb on, you know, practical things like directions and stuff. But, you know, the Lord was so good, he allowed me to find the exact spot. I mean, in the grass, pieces of broken glass still. Here's the highway here, 40, and went up an embankment, and here's an overpass right here. Car stopped about right here, see? Broken glass on the ground, two blue EMT gloves, a couple of small pieces of the car. I even asked the Lord if there was something personal I could find. You know, one thing you learn about this from pastoring 50 years in the ministry, you know, you find out that people all grieve differently. You hear that a lot, a lot of truth in that. I asked the Lord if I could find something personal. And you know what I found there in the grass? Two little packets from Taco Bell. My son liked Taco Bell. Two little mild sauce, maybe hot sauce. I don't remember. I can let you know if you want to know. They're in the back seat. I mean, they're in the back of my Honda Pilot. Do you carry that around? Yeah. A few pieces of the glass were back in there. I didn't take the stupid gloves, but you know how it is. We're all different. Don't, don't. I know you don't want to judge me, but just to teach you, we're all unique. I, I'm, I'm a little close to him still that way. But I, sent, I took photographs. My wife doesn't even know that stuff's in the back of my pilot. I took pictures of the accident scene and sent it to my son and son-in-law. And my son, Paul, sent a message back. He said, Dad, that must have been really surreal to see the spot where Danny went to heaven from. By the way, I took my wife there Memorial Day weekend when I went out to preach in our, uh, Missouri. And uh, put some flowers down on his uh, on that site, and also down by the that's not for me, I'm telling you, it's just I flashed in my mind seeing my wife putting the flowers down. You men, don't be don't be too hard on your wife. Forever. Wake up sometime. You, you got a weaker vessel there, but I'm going to tell you, neighbor, I got a sermon on women. The weaker vessel carries the stronger cargo. Vessel is a vessel because it carries something. Go find the women whose husband died and watch them live for decades. And then watch the man who loses a wife and they peter out overnight. Because they're here for you, neighbor. Appreciate that woman while you got her. And I said to my son, 
He said, that must have been surreal, seeing the spot where Danny went to heaven. You know what I sent back to him? I, I almost feel guilty having said it after I sent it, because I wasn't trying to act. Why would I want to act haughty to my own kid? But I, I felt silly for what I said or a little convicted. You know what I said, preacher? I said, well, Paul, that's the difference between a sibling and a father looking for an accident site. When that prodigal came home, dad was on the front porch. Now, mom was probably doing dishes, right? But dad was looking. The funeral was surreal. There were so many flowers there. It smelled like a florist. People came from 14, 15 states. One guy went 1,000 miles. The, the uh, uh, state representative flew his private plane in. Lowell Russell presented my daughter-in-law with a flag flying over Nashville in Danny's honor. It was, Lord will do sweet things. You know, I had a man who lost a wife, one of my former students, and he used to pastor in Ohio and then down in Fort Worth. Good man. And I helped him when his wife died for cancer. He called me, of course, and he said, uh, he said you know, Bill, the Lord is going to do some supernatural things for you in the next few days just to let you know that he's with you. Because you know when anybody goes through anything, the devil will be on your case in a minute. If you're doing something wrong, you don't have to wonder if, the, if this is chastisement. God will let you know that. That's his job. He lives inside of you. But don't let that, all that negative stuff hurt you. Go look the verse up in John 11, verse 3, when Mary and Martha sent the message to Jesus. What a message. He whom thou lovest is sick. Tell that to the faith healers. Ah, you wouldn't be sick if you weren't. If you had more faith, you could be healed. He whom thou lovest is sick. And I found that open casket was one thing. That little scratch on the eye was another thing. Unusual things. Then a man came up to me, Mike Watkins, his name. Pastor's down in Eustis, Florida. And he was on the maintenance team at Hiles Anderson when I was teaching there 30 years ago. And he, his wife has been my best friend with my wife over these 30 years, and I'm very close to Mike, the husband. And he walks up, and my, my widowed uh, daughter-in-law was worrying about uh, my son's children, five of them that had come up, you know, and they're just younger people, didn't have a lot of money for gas and stuff. She wanted to give him some money, you know. We were trying to figure out what to do, and I knew the Lord was going to take care of that. This preacher, a friend of mine, walks up and hands me an envelope. We've been friends 30 years. He said, he said, Brother Bill, I was in my office the other day, and I, Lord impressed it on my heart. I, to, back to this morning's message. He said, I felt impressed to pray for $1,000 to give to you, but I wanted 10 $100 bills to know it came from the Lord. That's what he told me. He said, the next day I'm in my office and the, my phone rings and it's some Mexican dude out in the parking lot who had visited my church one time. He said, can, can you come out here, preacher? I guess he didn't feel worthy to go into the church. But the Watkins comes out there. He doesn't know what he wants. The Mexican dude says, the Lord told me I was supposed to give this to you. And he hands him an envelope with $1,000 bills in it. And he handed that to me in, in the funeral home and I handed it right off to my daughter-in-law, and you can't make that stuff up, neighbor.
My initial reaction was the same as my wife's reaction and the same as your reaction when you have something wild like that happen. 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul said he was pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. You know, in the initial stage of a bad deal, the Lord doesn't show up right away. He does not. I've heard that from a zillion people. He didn't do it with Mary and Martha. He killed two more days, didn't he, before he took off. Say, well, how do you explain that? My wife's a nurse. She told me it's shock. God gives that to the human anatomy. You even got it in your gospel songs. You ever hear it? I heard this song the other day, My Anchor Holds. Remember that song? Still I stand the tempest shock, for my anchor grips the rock. I mean, God's the one that lets you get through it, but you don't sense his presence right away. You just kind of go into a shock mentally. That's the past. Then the present settled in. We got 13 grandchildren. They live on the Facebook, electronic media type stuff like most everybody today. And so they're shooting out all kind of messages. And again, I'm a private guy. I'm not, <laughs> I mean, I'm not posting a thousand things, you know. Help me out with this burden. I'm just that way. But they're all doing it. And so we're getting messages coming in left and right. And then I have to post something here and there. I have to post something for sure. I'd post something. Preacher, get three, four hundred comments in an hour. And I'm getting messages from zillions of people. And I promise you, I don't recognize the names of 80 to 90 percent of the people. But all that's representing prayers going up. Man, that grace started coming down then. That's how it works. Hey, Lord, George Bailey's in trouble, Lord, tonight. Help George. You know you reap what you sow, neighbor. If you're a stingy old person through your life, you don't ever help anybody, don't be shocked that there's very few people to be there to pray for you. It comes back on you, brother. So, the present settled in. Philippians 4.7 replaced 2 Corinthians 1.8. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But, the thing I'm kind of concerned about a little bit is the inevitable return to reality because for a while you're in that uh, incubation stage but reality is going to come sooner or later. Old Testament illustration, after 40 years of the manna coming down, they go into the promised land. Joshua 5.12 says, and the manna ceased. Someday you're going to have to start going out and get your own manna. It'll come down for a while. Then in Acts 12, uh, verse 10, after the angel of the Lord went in there to rescue Peter, he did all those things, woke him up, knocked the guards out, knocked the locks off the door, took him down the hall, out the door, opened up the gate. Remember all that? Then he got outside, and the Bible says the angel departed from him. Now you're on your own, man. I might have told the story here years ago about that poor couple there in South Carolina when I went to preach one, uh, sun, one Sunday night, and the pastor pointed out a young married couple that had a great tragedy the, the Sunday night before. This is a week later. They put their two teenage children together. Well, one, I think it was about 8, 10 years old, about 10 or 12, put him to bed and the 14-year-old uh, sister, something like that. And the next morning, they're going to go to summer camp. Get up, get, on, get up, get dressed, get on the bus for the week of camp. The girl was already dressed. The boy wasn't going anywhere. Sweet little young man, uh, Carter was his name. 
and I tried to help that mother out there and, uh, and her husband in the lobby. I remember I was telling you that thing, lowing as they went. I shared that scripture with the mother. Well, of course, that man called me when he heard about my son, tried to encourage me. And he told me one of the wildest things. You're not going to believe this. Turn over to Job real quick. This is what he told me over the phone. You know, this is not any kind of a normal sermon. This is a study on grief, maybe. And everything I'm telling you is real, and everything I'm telling you will work for you. And, uh, and he, he, he showed me those, three, those same three stages that I just described to you, past, present, and future. Future is getting into reality, you know, when you're going to get back to normal now, and all the pats on the back are going to be over. Job 1, here's the shock first therapy. The, you know, the, the, verse 20 of chapter 1, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and what? Fell down upon the ground. But it didn't say he cursed God, he worshipped, but he, he was in shock ministry there, see? That's the past. Then the present, the friends show up, right? After the second wave of testing as well, right? Verse, uh, verse uh, 11, now when Job's three friends, chapter 2, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own. Verse, uh, they came to mourn with him and to comfort him, it says. When, verse 12, when they lifted up their eyes afar off they, and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept and they ran every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads and they sat down with him. They didn't say anything for seven days, but they were right there with him. You know, that helped Job. They didn't mess up till they started, you know, trying to psychoanalyze the situation later, right? But initially they were there and they comforted him. Now this is what this man told me over, you know, in a text message whose son hung himself, 12 years old or whatever it is. He said, he said Brother Legault, we got phone calls Pats on the back, everything. You know, all that grace coming down. He said, but then after a while, it started petering out. The phone calls stopped. The text messages stopped. And what he's implying was, he, he was like hooked on it the good way, but it started dropping off. And then after a while, you know, when the world's getting back to its own business, you know what he told me? He said, I got bitter until God gave me the victory. But my initial reaction, it, it hurt me. He said, then the Lord showed him something. Look at stage three in chapter three. Look at the, he said, he said, Brother Bill, look at the first two words of chapter three, verse one. After this. Job opened, his, opened Job his mouth and what? Cursed his day. He said the same thing happened to Job. After all that comfort was over, he cursed his day. He's mad. He, he wants that stuff to continue, but it's not going to continue. That's when you get into phase three. You have to re-emerge into the real world. I don't know if anybody's getting this. When that funeral was over and I took off to go preach in Texas and my family went back to Tennessee, that was a Thursday morning, I got to Amarillo, Texas that night, had to preach the next night. Next morning, Friday morning, preacher, I woke up in my motel room and the Lord impressed me. He said, yeah, I want you to put a little video on Facebook. And I hate Facebook to begin with. Somebody say amen right there. That's the most worthless thing. 
I mean, I only got on it because I came out with that new book in Israel in 2017, and everybody said, you can't launch a book as a self-publisher in today's market without a Facebook platform. I got on that. I find out those stinking people. They don't. I got about 4,000 groupies now following me. They don't buy books. You know what they do? They post you know, videos of a duck pushing a beach ball with his nose down the beach, you know, down the shoreline. You know, they want to see how many likes they get. <laughs> I got more confidence than those aliens walking around in Vegas. Amen. <laughs> what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So, he impressed me to put an 11-minute video out, and I did it, and the subject was three mistakes Christians can make when grieving. Three mistakes Christians can make when grieving. We're all going to grieve, and all of us are going to be tempted to make one of these three mistakes, and it's the real world, neighbor. The first mistake is questioning God's will, often producing bitterness. Always come, the question's always coming up, why, Lord? I think I mentioned that to you this morning, did I? I used to think that was a sin until the Lord put it on my heart. He said, I asked God, that, I asked my father the same question one time. Isn't that what he did? My God, my God. But then that, that can move to more dangerous territory. How, how about this one? Lord, if you really love me, am I right? Look, if you want to know if God loves you or not, how much does he love you? How about this much? Come on, neighbor. Jack Howes used to have a sermon called Take God Off Trial. Decide whether God's good or not and settle it. And that's it. Don't reopen it every time something happens to you. Look, learn yourself, neighbor. The Bible tells you about the last days we're going to be lovers of our own selves. Jack Howes used to say if somebody treats you good and treats everybody else bad, he's a great guy. If he treats you bad and he treats everybody else good, he's a bum. Lovers of your own selves, figure out what's wrong with you. The most important thing I said on that video, I promise you in my heart, I think is the most important thing I can say tonight. And I think anybody out there that's half spiritual would agree 100% just like that with me. What I said on the video is, Listen, my friend, I'm giving you an exact quote. I said, listen, my friend, God is always right. Genesis 18, 25, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Boy, Job 1, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I sprinkled my mother, a Catholic, and I immersed my father, a Baptist. Lord put you through some things, but he usually makes up for it in, in his own timetable. Just give him time. You know, Jack Howes used to have a sermon. He said, I hate flour. I hate sugar. I hate Crisco oil. And about ten more things like that. But then he said, but I sure do love biscuits. Amen right there. We know that all things work together for good. They're not good in their own. Now, can I give you a blessing that's going to do something for your life? Turn to Philippians 1. You all remember that, uh, that Footprints poem? Everybody's seen that thing, right? You get on the Internet, there's all kinds of debate about who wrote it. Lawsuits like crazy, you know. 
And uh, most folks feel that the guy that wrote that was a Baptist preacher named Willard Thomas, an old camp meeting guy. You know, a lot of you know him. He was a real poet. He wrote 150 poems committed to memory. He preached them in his camp meeting sermons. And I wrote the foreword to his last poetry book, Gathered Fragments. And uh, he wouldn't talk about it very much, but he talked about it with me one time. And he had, you, you go get his earliest poetry book. Uh, it's three volumes. I think the earliest one's in the early 70s, you know. And he has a, a model outline about that uh, footprints thing before it ever got out popular. So maybe in the 60s, I forget. But anyway... Uh, he said some some Tennessee Temple guy stole it from him and started circulating it, and but he didn't feel the least bit uh, led to fight about it. No telling how much good can be done if people didn't care or get the credit. You've heard that quote. Worst part about it is that was a great poem, but it wasn't biblical. <laughs> Sorry, Willard, take it easy. What are you talking about? Two sets of footprints. When I got the roughest time of my life and went down on one foot and you deserted me, remember that? But then I, and the Lord said, I didn't desert you. I was carrying you. That's why there's only one. F That's beautiful. I couldn't love that. You better read Psalm 23. And yea, though I, what's the next word? Walk through the valley. There's no greater trial than going through the valley of death. Thou art with me. He's in front of you through life. When you go through that valley, he's right next to you. He can catch you if you go down, but you've got to walk yourself. Sorry, Willard. Take it easy. Take a chill pill. Amen. Well, he had a brother named Edgar Thomas, Willard Thomas. And Willard pastored in Gainesville, Georgia. It's one of the spookiest churches I've ever been in. Come in the back door and look down here right above the baptistry. Giant letters. Welcome Holy Ghost, it said. It's a Bible Belt church, not like up in the north. You know you're in a Bible Belt church when it's 20 babies in the choir in the mother's arms. Everybody's moving around. Some of you know that. Jack Howes used to say, I never saw a theologian who could preach or an evangelist who could read and write. And the Bible Belt's funny, isn't it? And uh, so uh, his brother was a preacher for his whole life, Edgar Thomas. He's on a radio station in Atlanta. They called it the Big Gun. He's on that radio 40 years preaching. His younger brother, Willard, the guy I'm talking about, just got called to preach when he's 40 years old. So he always looked up to his big brother. And he told me one of the greatest things I've ever heard. And a, a part of this little outline, most of you have probably heard. But it, he said, Brother Bill, my brother told me that in the Old Testament, when God wanted to bless his people, the blessings were mostly material, physical blessings. You wonder how great a man was in sight of God and see how many camels he had, horses, you know what I mean? Animals and, and, and land, right? Job, all, Abraham, all those guys. He said, but when you get into the church age, God's blessings are primarily spiritual. It doesn't mean God can't, can't bless you materially. I got a, my Honda Pilot in November, I mentioned, got wiped out in a parking lot of a church in Memphis. Some nut hit me, blew all the airbags open you know, as I was coming into the church parking lot. And I, I, I wanted to have a good testimony. Nonetheless, I got out of my Honda and I had a gospel track. I was going to witness to the dude. He was a real dark-skinned guy. I thought he was a Mexican. I said, hey, mucho gusto en conocerle. You know, I mean, that's very fancy for how you doing in Mexican or Spanish-Mexican. The guy just looked at me like a calf looking at a new gate. I said, ain't you a Mexican dude? That's the exact quote. He said, no, I'm from Cambodia. I was waiting for Rambo to jump out of a bush, amen. <laughs> so, uh, 
So how could you make up something like that? But I mean, the next week I, pre I preached in Branson, Missouri, and I'm using my wife's Chrysler because my, my vehicle's destroyed, 154,000 miles on it. It was 2019 Honda. I walk into the church Sunday morning. man walks up to me, big, as big as your pastor here over here, your pastor emeritus. He hands me a check. says, the Lord told my wife and I we're supposed to try to help you get a new vehicle. It's $15,000. Crazy Allstate gave me uh, $20,000, I guess. I paid $35,000 for it in 2019. This is, you know, just a couple years later. And so, listen, I had about 10 preachers send me like $25,000, I guess. Last guy gave me so much money, there was 3000 left over. I said, I don't need the, you give me 3000 too much. Yeah, I use it for gas. Besides, I got a widow in my church. She said she wants to cover the balance. The whatever you don't raise. I, I said, how much? Up to 25000 He told me, the widow said, I don't even know who it is. I pulled out of the parking lot of that Asheville Honda dealer, Apple Tree Honda, four months ago with that 2023 20, pilot sitting right out in the parking lot out there with six miles on it. So how much was the price tag? 52 large. I didn't pay 52 cents. I had 3,000 surplus. So why is that? I told you this morning, somebody needs to believe me before the meeting's over. That Bible could be true. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary, used to say, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's support. Now, you know I've milked this story many times since I've been coming here. It's the same suits, preacher. <laughs> Haven't you heard me say, how much did I pay for this suit? $19.95 at a Goodwill in Los Angeles three years ago. The one I had on this morning, gray one, pinstripe, same Goodwill store, same price, $19.95. Say, why, why, what, what, what? See, this is me. This is all I need for myself. That crazy vehicle so I can go a thousand miles a week. I got six miles on it. Four months ago, I got, look at my odometer. It's got 15,400 miles now. I'm just thrilled to, to work myself to death like these guys work themselves to death here. We're just doing different things. But I need reliable transportation. So God can bless you with material things when it's the right setting and he knows what he's doing with it. But most of the blessings that you get in the church age <clears throat> are going to be spiritual. Now, you want to see something to blow your mind here? The greatest blessing that God can give you that's spiritual. He's blessed us in spiritual, with spiritual blessings in high places. And all the verses will tell you that. But what's the greatest blessing that you can get? If Here's the key phrase. Watch now. If you qualify for it. Not everybody qualifies for it. Say, what is it, preacher? Answers to prayer, you know, this and that, exhilaration and opportunities to serve God. No, it's suffering. I don't know. Look at the verse. Philippians 1, verse 29. Anybody remember how you got saved? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 29. For unto you it is, what's the next word? Given. In the behalf of Christ, not only to what? Believe on Him, but also to what? Anybody suffering in this room tonight? You better thank God He felt you were worthy. You know, Pastor, I know your wife's been a blessing to you all through your ministry. 
One of the most encouraging things my wife has ever told me, I'll be in this business half a century next year. Most encouraging thing she's ever said to me through the years is, honey, I, God knew you'd take it for him. If, you, if he, gave, he gave it to you, that's because he knows you'll, you'll, you won't turn on him. What's he, you know, he knew he could trust you with the battle. Um, look, General Patton knew toughest battles. They, they sent in their best soldiers for the toughest. Oh, duh. God trust you with some great trial tonight? You ought to be shouting it out. Listen. If, if suffering is the great, you know, uh, Job, I heard a black preacher preach a sermon on Job one time. It was called Job, the man that was picked out to be picked on. If suffering is the greatest spiritual blessing that you can encounter, listen to this. Obviously, the loss of a family member, family member must be pretty close to the top. But we can tell you what the top is. I mean, my father passed away years ago. My sister died recently, but that's not the top of the pyramid. So what's the top of the pyramid? Loss of a child. It does not get any tougher than the loss of a child. I mean, I'm not trying to be overboard here, but would you mind sharing a testimony? How many of you lost a child? Raise your hand. One. Look at that. Look at that. Big, big room. About four hands out of this whole room. That's not normal. I'll give you a word to look up. It's the word veloma. It's in our dictionary, but it's a, it's a, a Sanskrit word from 400 B.C. It's not a, an Anglo-Saxon word. <clears throat> Go look it up. V, veloma, like V for victory, V-I-L-O-M-A. Look up the definition for that word. You ready for this, neighbor? God gave me this when I was putting my uh, eulogy together for my own son. So you preached your own son's funeral? Of course I did. The word means against the natural order of things, end of quote. Children bury parents. Look, how many of you have lost a parent? Raise your hand. Well, see, it's, I don't have to do that, do I? And how many lost a child? Four hands. You know, Pastor, as the grace card started coming down and the Lord started doing things for me, He put all kinds of things on my heart. First thing He put on my heart was this. The first funeral in the history of mankind was a father burying a son. Along with mother standing there, of course. How many have ever heard of Cain and Abel? And then the Lord put on my heart, the oldest book of the Bible opens up with a father burying seven sons. Plus three daughters with mother there who lost her marbles over it. I used to be hard on her. Not a hard on her now. And then the Lord put it on my heart. This is Father's Day, isn't it? You look up the word love in your King James Bible, the first place it shows up, the law first mentioned, is a father, his love, not a mother's love. You know the old expressions we have grew up with, you got a face only a mother can love. We know about mother's love, right? But the first time the word shows up, it's take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. I was up here during, uh, on Valentine's Day a couple years ago, preached up in uh, Elmira, Valentine's Day morning, and Valentine's Day Sunday morning, and a big old guy come up to me at the bookcase, book table, and he, he, he had a stern look on his face. I, he was so big, I thought if he didn't like something, I'd make a note and change it in the New York Minute. But he told me a strange thing. He said, one year ago today on Valentine's Day, my 
30-year-old daughter died of a heroin overdose in her bed over through the night. Two of my grandchildren sleeping alongside of her through the night. She's dead as a hammer. He said, I didn't cry one tear since that happened. Not a tear till this morning. Holy Spirit got into that service. Father's loves are, a father's love is underrated a lot of times, isn't it? But the sweetest thing God put on my heart, and every time I get to this part of this outline, I hesitate to say this because I cannot seem to get it out right. Pastor, I can't seem to communicate it correctly. But I know what, what the Lord put on my heart, but I don't know how to say it right. In my own heart, it's as if the Lord told me this little thought. To some degree, now you know what I went through to get you saved. I got it. The fellowship of his suffering. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. He said, you had, in my little heart, I imagine this, you got two sons. I only had one. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Such a time of a great trial like this is also your ultimate opportunity to trigger Psalm 50 verse 23. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Preacher, I was saved 30, 40 years before I figured out what an offering was. Sacrifice. The main way people communicated with God. Starting right with Adam and Eve, boom. Noah coming off the ark, boom. What is a sacrifice? That's when they take it's as pure as it can be. Passover, Nisan, first month of the Jewish year. We talked about this morning. What do they do with that lamb? Study that lamb for two weeks, make sure there's no blemishes. And then when you get something as close to perfection as possible, you destroy it for no reason. What's that great question they asked about Mary dropping all that ointment over Jesus' head? What purpose was this waste? He's not dead. We're not embalming him. We're not anointing him for burial. The money's, got, the money's gone. We could have given it to the poor like Judas really cared about that. But that's what a sacrifice is when you lose something special with no, for no reason. And that's why when God touches your heart, where do you come to in a Baptist church? They don't do this in a stinking Methodist church. What do you call these little steps you kneel at? An altar. What's your first mistake that you can make when going through a grieving process is number one, questioning God about it. Getting bad attitude. Second mistake you can make, and this is deep, is prolonging the grief process or going into what I call overgrief. First time my wife heard this message, she corrected me. She challenged me. She said, I'm never going to stop. I'm, I'm never going to stop grieving for Danny. So I, I just recognized I didn't word it right. I said, good night, honey. I'm not either. I'm talking about openly or outwardly before people. I had a friend of mine in Indiana that pastored a church. He lost a son 15 years of age years ago in a car accident. He called me on the phone and he said, Bill, you're never going to get over this. It's a spiritual amputation that takes place, a part of your heart. Right. 
But I'm talking about Christians that are on Facebook for years and years and years telling everybody about losing somebody. They don't mean anything by it. I broke down here oftentimes it's unintentional and innocent. A lot of times just not being spiritual enough to realize you shouldn't do that. Grief is normal. Paul told the Thessalonians, but I would not have you to be ignorant. Brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. We understand that. We have the hope of seeing our son again. Sometimes you have a child makes a profession when he's little and he spends his whole life never showing any evidence. That, that can unnerve a parent. But sometimes you're blessed with seeing plenty of evidence and, and they go up and down, but you can't go up if you're not saved. No man can call Jesus Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And our son gave us plenty of evidence that we knew he was saved, man. So we have that hope of seeing him again. But listen, however, there comes a time when God's people need to demonstrate his grace in their lives. Thus, it is never right to succumb to a drama queen, woe is me syndrome, where everybody has to walk around you on eggshells. Anybody understanding where I'm going with this? While 1 Corinthians 10.13 reminds us, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common unto man. 1 Peter 5.9 adds, the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know, I, uh, I sat down, preacher, and in 25 minutes I listed about 35 people I know that have gone through insane things. Where I'm going with this point is we're not the only ones having a hard time. Jack Howes was on the radio for 40 years in Hammond, Indiana, five days a week. 30-minute broadcast. He ended every broadcast with the same expression, be good to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. He used to tell preachers, he who preaches to broken hearts will never want for an audience. I don't know how much time he got here. Here, here's a preacher I'm preaching in his church uh, Saturday night, Albert Adamkowski. Some of you may or may not know the name. He, I preached for him last year when I was here. He's, he drowned three, day, three weeks after I was at his house for three days. He's trying to save his daughter. Daughter's got two children with some issues. Now she's a widow lady with four children. I get down to Houston, no, Shady Acres, you know him. Man. Running laps, little children running there, trying to... What did you have? Did you, did you stub your toe this week? I, what was the problem you had? I forget. Brian Green, most of you know him from Shady Acres. I was just in Germany with him for a week. His father was a preacher. Brian Green will tell you that there was a day he had to vacuum his daddy's brains up with a vacuum cleaner after he shot himself. Did you ever have to vacuum your father's brains up? This Father's Day. These are people that we love and are in the body of Christ. We're not the only ones having problems. I'm just skipping through this long list. Here's, a, here's an elderly missionary couple in Arkansas. Their son's been on death row for 30 years, waiting to find out if he's going to be executed. How'd you like to have that burden all your life? Here's a preacher friend of mine in North Carolina, and they're marrying North Carolina. His wife left him with two children. Again, chemically challenged. I don't know what you call it. Are you listening, neighbor? Took off. His wife left him with two kids. Ran off with another guy. Of course, the other guy was her father-in-law. How you doing? You having problems, neighbor? 
skipping stories here. There's a friend of mine in Dr. Howe's work up here in Indiana. He's ex-biker, you know, he's running an RU ministry, real good guy, married a wonderful woman, had a baby a few years ago. The doctor botched the delivery, a little cocky kind of attitude, young doctor. He, the baby died. The doctor got all tore up, came into the, to the room. There's, there's my friend George, is his name, holding his four-day-old four dead daughter's body in his arms. They got an hour with her. He comes in. So what'd that father do? That father was spiritual. He started witnessing to that doctor. Forty-five minutes later, that doctor bowed his head and asked the Lord to save him. The whole time, he's holding a dead body in his arms. You can't make this stuff up, neighbor. Here's a family in Michigan that I used to preach with. Six, five of his children, he and his wife, all six, seven, eight of them died together. Carbon monoxide poisoning in the basement. I mean, they just died all over the house. They found him. They made the mistake of putting a machine inside his house in the basement, the generator. They found his hand on the dial. All whole family's gone. Biggest story in Michigan for a while. How much time you got here? I was out in Missouri the other day preaching. Pastor drove me over and. Where was I? Independence, Missouri. Drove me over to the parking lot. There's a preacher in the street preaching with his church members, right? Preacher comes over. Hey, Brother Grady. I, didn't, I never met the man. He said, you know, he knew me. He said from some of my books, blah, blah, blah. Pastor told me the story. He's the new pastor in that church. So where's the old pastor? Well, he's not there anymore. Had a terrible tragedy hit their church. I got this story in my new book. The key man in the church, key church member, right? Got murdered in his office. Insurance salesman, shot in the head. Week later, they're having the funeral in the church. Whole church tore up. You know how these things affect the church. There's the widow there with the tissue box, right? Here's the pastor up here. Packed church. We don't know why these things happen. God knows. You know all that kind of stuff. He's the guy that killed the guy, having an affair with that that widow down there, sniffling. She gave him the gun. Ex-marine, former marine, whatever. His name was Love, Pastor Love. Remember, remember Evangelist Love, his travel and salvation show came to an end? FBI got those tapes and tracked them down, went to prison for life. Hey, here's one. I go to Las Vegas, I said, every year. Pastor Service out there hooked me up with a good preacher in, in Los Angeles area, and I preached for him one week. Had a great meeting. Five children. Next year, I asked the pastor about it. How's, how's old brother so-and-so doing? Well, not so good. He left, his, uh, he left his wife and family, somebody else half his age. Man, this guy was as sharp as a tack, pastor. Twelve years in Air Force Intelligence, four years in NSA. Speaks fluent Persian. I'm sure you even know who it is. Speaks fluent Persian. His wife speaks fluent Vietnamese. They didn't fall off any turnip truck any time recently. But he dumped it all for somebody half his age. Wouldn't have been so bad if the person was a woman. I got a phone call the other day when I was preaching uh, in, in, uh, in, Missou- in, in Maryland, Mechanicsville, Maryland. I'm walking on a walking trail and a phone rings. It's a guy I hadn't talked to in 40 years, the chairman of my deacons in my first church in Idaho. 
Hadn't seen him in 40 years. Had nine kids. He was an, you know, he had a messed up life. He, 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 his wife divorced him and kids turned on him. He just wasn't, wasn't the greatest husband and father. He'd tell you that. Told me the story of one of his daughters. She was just born the year I was leaving the church to go to teach for Jack House College. The woman had about five or six kids by then. This baby was just born, a little girl named Georgia. He told me the story. She, by, she, by the time she's 19 years old, she runs away to Arizona. He's telling me the story on the phone. She's in college and she's got a job. Start working at, at, at Hooters. Make money. Very pretty girl. Then she moved from Hooters to some strip club somewhere, and then some customer followed her home to her apartment, got into an argument with her in the parking lot, pulled a gun out and shot and killed her. Some, some redneck from Paducah, Kentucky. You look at his mugshot, it looks like something out of a bad dream. I read the police report. The blood was still coming out of her head out of the bullet hole when the cops got there. She had a T-shirt on that said, better luck next time. Old Patty Newbarker over here with Rachel, they were members of my church in Michigan. Got a phone call from that lady right over there one day. Pastor, things aren't so good. My husband's had a heart attack. One of my former students from Hiles Anderson, key man in my church. I rush over there, walk in, preacher. First time I ever saw a dead body on a floor. EMT people just coming out, get some more last equipment. He just died of a heart attack. Ran into your, your son out there in the driveway, Daniel Jr. I know you know this family well. It's been, hadn't been fun for a widow lady now to carry around these four children. I mean, the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are without. Job 14.1, man that is born of woman is a, full, is a few days and full of trouble. Now listen, let me tell you the part of the story that I don't want to tell you. I said this morning, the preachers, we're messed up like you're messed up. We're all... This is a hospital, Jack Howes used to say, not a museum. So I get this phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning from my son, Wednesday night. I jump up, take off, forget my ministry. I got 10, 12, 15 churches booked over four states. I race back to my uh, house in Tennessee. And preacher, the problem is it's, uh, it's the middle of the night. I can't talk with anybody. And my heart's torn up. About 5.30 in the morning, listen, 5 o'clock, I realize it's 6 a.m. I'm in Central Standard Time here, but I know that's 6 o'clock, and I know there's a family in North Carolina that would be up at 6. He's like a farmer kind of guy. He worked at Duke Power Company for years, a very sharp guy. Some wonderful man has been supporting our ministry financially 30 years. Just a good friend, not a pastor, a church member. I know, I, oh, he's awake. And I'm a preacher going up 40, 5 in the morning, dark. Torn up, crying my eyes out for hours. Hey, Dr. Grady, what's up? You know, well, Alvin, not, not too much. Listen, I, I, I felt led to call you. I said, Danny just died here a few hours ago in Arkansas. Boy, he got tore up just like that, preacher, just like that. And he started ministering to me, and I started taking that balm of Gilead. We cried together for sure, weep with those who weep, and prayed together, and I felt like a million dollars in a way. You know what I mean? The, the load was lifted. And you know what I found out, preacher? I found out what Galatians 6-2 means. Bear you one another's burdens. 
Are you listening, neighbor? Here's the part I don't want to tell you. A week later, the night before the funeral, everybody's converging on the area, you know. Everybody, all the family in different hotels, right? The next morning is going to be the, uh, the next day will be the viewing with the funeral. You know how it all runs together. And I'm, at a, I'm at a Cracker Barrel with my wife about, about 9 o'clock at night. We, you know, we just checked in and we ran in to get something to eat. And we're sitting there at the table, just Linda and myself. And all of a sudden, I don't know if the devil puts these thoughts in your mind or you conjure them up, you know. But I thought, you know, wherever my son's body is now, it's so late, nobody's around. If it's funeral home, they got him somewhere else, they bring him to the funeral home. I don't remember. I don't know. But the thought struck me. I'm in here having vegetable soup at Cracker Barrel. My son's dead body is 1.8 miles away because I checked where the mileage, you know. I imagine he was dead and naked on a slab. He might have been dressed. I don't know, but you understand how that works? And all of a sudden, preacher, I crashed through the floorboards in my heart. And then I'm staring into space, and my wife says, what do you, what's wrong with you all of a sudden? Because I, I wouldn't. So I did what a good husband should do. I didn't dump that on her. I half lied, half truth. I said, honey, a good night, 12-hour drive, I'm burned out. Well, that was partly true. But I wasn't going to tell her what was on my heart. So we paid the bill, got out of there, dropped off at the front door of the hotel. I said, honey, go on in there. I got to make a phone call out in the parking lot. And I parked the car. Anybody want to guess who I called? Well, it worked last time. This time it wasn't, hey, Dr. Grady, how you doing? It was, hey, Dr. Grady, my same friend Alvin in North Carolina. What's, what's going on, Brother Grady? I said, well, it's not too good, Alvin. And then the truck unloaded again. You understand? I'm sitting there having a meal, and he's right down the road, my dead son's body. I mean, you know, he's in heaven already, but you know what I mean. Your brain gets messed up sometimes. And I said, and I'm sitting there eating soup, and, I, and he's just a couple of miles away. And I poured this thing out, and with all sincerity, I could have mustered. Now, let me tell you what he said this time. Ready? This is the part I don't want to tell you. Ready? And I'm not really trying to be funny, right? But it was kind of like this. Look. Let me translate. Uh, 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 North Carolina, uh, uh, a smart man. Uh, Dr. Grady, I, I don't know what to say, Dr. Grady. He didn't have one thing for me. And right then the Holy Spirit said, hey, Mr. Preacher, now to help other people learn something. You're supposed to cross over a line and you didn't cross over. You're supposed to go to Galatians 6.5, let every man bear his own burdens now. That stuff about the other people helping you, that's got a deadline time on it. See, I was going into that overgrief outwardly. Not inwardly, but outwardly. Like the guy in South Carolina that got bitter when all the text messages stopped and the Facebook posting stopped. Can I tell you what the Lord used to pull, our, pull us out of the doldrums, my wife and I? The deacon board chairman in my second church, his wife sent my wife a text or video of a singing group singing a song. The group is called the Perrys. 
You know, we're always having a celebration of life. That's what they call a funeral. There's nothing wrong with doing that. We had pictures of our son at our funeral. You know, people do that. Celebrate his life. But in the meantime, we sit there and think about how much we miss him because we remember all the fun we had with him. This video blew my mind. I want to read you the, the lines, the lyrics. The title of the hymn is called Celebrate Me Home. When the time comes and I'm standing at the river that separates the two worlds that I love, torn between my precious friends and my family and the place of peace that's waiting up above, hold my hand and stay there by my side. And when I finally step into the tide, Celebrate. Me home. Celebrate me there. Celebrate me in that land of wonder where nothing can compare. Celebrate me in that place. Celebrate me saved by grace. Don't just sit and weep because I'm gone. Celebrate me home. I have spent most of my life on earth preparing to take the trip from here to heaven's throne with the shield and, with, with the shield and word of God to guide me. It's a comfort knowing I am not alone. So when I take my final breath and fade into the gentle sleep of death, Celebrate me home. No more broken dreams. No more tears to cry. Into my father's arms I'll fly. Celebrate me home. Celebrate me home. Think about when your children were little. You just couldn't pray enough about them getting saved. Well, good night if God saved them. You know, my son's always running late. That was a character flaw. He had a sales manager of a big company. He had a lot of character, but he'd be late a lot. And dark, you know what dark humor means. My wife said he finally got somewhere early. <laughs> Only God can give you that kind of grace to think that way. So listen, I'm wrapping this thing up. First mistake you make is questioning God. The second mistake you can make is prolonging the grief process. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb. It's normal, but just don't go on forever in front of people. And then the third mistake you can make, and this is a simple one, is forgetting that others still need your help. Be good to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. Two o'clock in the morning, I jumped in my car, took off. I was, I was low on gas, preacher. I had to stop and pull off at about three o'clock in the morning for gas. Hey, I walked into Mini Mart, three in the morning, there's some lady in there with an arm and a cast, you know, or a sling. And I thought, there's my first prospect. Are you listening, neighbor? There's my first prospect. I walked up, hey, would you hit your husband in the head or something? You know, my silly personality. And she got laughing within a couple of minutes, you know. And I talked to that lady for 20 minutes. Then I tell a little about the Lord. I said, by the way, just so you know how important you are to God, I'm racing home right now. My son just died this evening. But I want to take 20 minutes with you. 
because you're important to God. And, you know, that, that's shock therapy. See, I had a weapon I could use. I wasn't going to not use it because people still need help. Isn't that a beautiful song? Jack Howell's wife used to sing it. People need the Lord. Every day I see them. I said, what'd you do, preacher? After that funeral, I, I preached my son's funeral, first of all. And then, in the, next six, in the next 17 days, I spoke 16 times. You know me better than think I'm lifting myself up here to you. Paul told Timothy, be an example to the believer. You preached 60, yeah, I got out of there. The funeral the next morning, I told you, drove to Amarillo, Texas. 10, 12, 15 hours, who knows? Preached Friday night, preached Saturday night, preached Sunday school, preached Sunday morning, preached Sunday afternoon service, preached Sunday in the street, preached Sunday night in a different church, across town. Drove to Houston, preached in Shady Acres twice. Drove to Louisiana, preached somewhere there Sunday morning. Another church Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Then drove home finally to see my, see my wife. What are you, you know, this is a Baptist church, no clergy lady. You're supposed to be the same way in whatever realm you're in. People need help, man. It's not about you. Now I'm, I'm done with this. That preacher friend of mine told me, God's going to do some supernatural things for you to encourage you. I gave you a couple already, the smile on my son's face with an open casket and $1,000 bills that didn't stay in my hand for three minutes. But I'm going to tell you something. The biggest thing God did for us, I'm going to close and tell you this and we'll get out of here. If you told me this story, I wouldn't believe it if you told me. The day my son died was a Wednesday. And I was scheduled to preach in Pell City, Alabama, three hours away, two o'clock in the afternoon maybe, gain an hour and a time change, so I always leave plenty of time so I don't mess up. I'm in my driveway, preacher, I mean in my garage, ready to back out to go. My Honda Pilot's wiped out because of Rambo, I'm driving my wife's Chrysler, I got 2,000 churches, Oklahoma, Texas, I'm all... The schedule I gave you was after I canceled about three, two other churches in Alabama and one in Oklahoma. Okay, so I'm loaded down, low rider ministry. I have no room in my, my wife's Chrysler. Boxes of books everywhere, suitcases, paint, I have paintings out there, and look. Okay? Cheech and Chong, remember them dudes? All right, so my wife comes over to the window. But she's a good kisser. She's 71, but she's a good kisser. Put the window down, gave me a kiss goodbye. Okay, honey, say no to drugs. Got to go. I, I was there when all this happened. Neighbor, listen, I'm not making this up. Put it in reverse, backed out of the driveway, took off. I had to go to the car wash and I had to go to the post office. And then I was mail a couple books to Alaska. Then I'm on my way. I got those two errands out of the way, preacher, and I'm just ready to blow out of town and a little in out of nowhere and says uh, the Lord never calls me Dr. Grady. I don't know why. I think he calls me son most of the time. Sometimes he calls me dingling. And I heard this little voice in my heart. Hey son are you sure you have enough books for this long trip? My Honda power like a truck I got a ton of room. Christ the 300 I'm hurting right? And I thought to myself well sure I got enough books. Hey any of you kids and wives ever go on a trip when your dad's driving? Daddy, can we stop at the potty? No! Every father's that way. We got to go, Joe. And I'm talking to the Lord about that. No, I got to go, Lord. About three hour drive. 
And then the Lord said, and then, and then he made me, he, he, I got the impression, he said, look, there's some space on your back seat. I could fit one more box under some suitcase in there, you know. I said, no, I got to go, Lord. And then I heard what we all know, if you're saved for a while, this is what I heard. Ready? Don't miss the inflection of the voice. Ready? Okay. <laughs> What's that mean? No skin off of my nose if you run out of books. Isn't God funny? I hope you know how personal he is. He brought the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. What are you going to call that one with the long neck, Adam? He's personal. Hope you learned that. Okay, okay. Hello, all right. I'll go back home. I'm only 10, 15 minutes away. I haven't got out of town yet. And then he adds insult to injury. He says, now if you're going to go home, why don't you check with Linda? She could probably use a, something from McDonald's. You got her car? She's marooned. I said, she don't want anything. Call her. Hey, honey, listen, I got to come home to get some more books. So you don't want anything from McDonald's, do you? Give me a Big Mac meal with a Dr. Pepper. Anybody want to guess how many cars were at McDonald's drive-up window in your post-COVID America? Must have been 40 cars over there. <laughs> I finally get home, back in the garage. Throw the Big Mac at her almost. <laughs> And now, and now I just don't have to pick one box. I have space for a box, so it's triage ministry. Two final authorities. Oh, let me see. Three, how, what if God wants? And the devil's mess. I mean, Lord's messing with my brain. Trying, I'm scrambling. I'm trying to hurry up. I finally get you know, a box of books figured out. Stick it in that little cupboard hole. Back in the garage. In the, behind the driver's wheel. Here comes Mama for another kiss. This time it was onions. Let me over here, baby. Don't pick up any hitchhikers. I got to get out of here. See you in six weeks. I put that thing in reverse again, preacher. And all of a sudden, in the rearview mirror, a car pulls up in my own driveway. You can't even guess who it is, but I'll give you a hint. It's somebody that lives in Arkansas that I hadn't physically seen for six months at least because I'm on the road all year round. That's my son. He comes up to the window, and we both groaned, preacher. We both groaned. Remember what I said, dark humor? He finally did something early, you know? Dark humor. We both went into mini depression. Why? I got to get going. He looked at me. I looked at him. My wife come out. I didn't even get out of the car. I ain't doing Danny. Put the window down. I kiss him on the lips. He's, he, so we start acting like we're interested in talking to each other. <laughs> finally, after five minutes, I, I, I finally said, I said, Danny, you know I'm just acting interested in what you're saying. I've got to get out of here. He said, I got a 12-hour drive too, Dad. He's just as fake as I was. My wife's standing right there, and she laughs. She said, you're both the same, which was the truth. Few more minutes of ropey dope. He finally leans in the car and says, I love you, Dad. 46 years old. Give me a big old kiss on my cheek. Rough, rough couple day beard there. And I put it into, kiss my wife goodbye, put it into drive, reverse, pulled out, and took off. That was about four o'clock. 
6 o'clock, I sent my son a text because he had sent my wife the most beautiful email just four days earlier, maybe the day after Christmas or Christmas Day. This is three days after Christmas this is happening, June 28th. I don't know, Christmas Eve, maybe a Christmas. He wrote her the sweetest letter. Dad was our hero, but you kissed the boo-boos. You know, all that kind of stuff. All telling her how wonderful she was. Then I touched her heart. After I left, he, he went inside with her for 20 minutes. He was just coming to get Christmas cards and gifts, you know, from three days after Christmas. But he wanted to see his mother for sure, you know, but I never see him. And so I sent him a text. I said, Danny, that email you sent your mother really spoke to her heart. And this is the last communication I had from my boy in this world. He wrote back two statements. He said, yeah, Dad, I meant it. And last communication. Are you listening, man? You married up. Three words. That was about 7 o'clock. I got that answer back. He was gone at 11. Now, wasn't that nice how the Lord worked that out? He worked it out so we could have a last little meeting together. But I'm telling you, don't miss the fact that your walk with God should be very personal and real, man. There's nobody like you and God. You're different. Everybody's unique. Because all of a sudden, the Lord started playing with my brain weeks later, maybe. And all of a sudden, something struck me. Are you listening, neighbor? Are you ready for this? I got to thinking about those books I had to go back to get. I canceled four meetings, five meetings right after that because of the funeral. Did I need that extra case of books? Huh? So would the Lord use that to get you back? Yeah, he did. But the Bible says, I'm not a man that I should lie, it says in Deuteronomy. It says in Titus, it's impossible for God to lie. Doesn't it say that? Did you ever hear the black preacher sermon? Two things God can't do, God can't lie, and God can't die. I got to thinking, ready? <laughs> I said to the Lord, I said, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute, what about the box of books business? Did you lie to me? I didn't need those stinking books. I wasn't mad. I was just maybe having a little fun with God. I didn't need the books. You know what the Lord put on my heart? Again, you know how we don't hear audible voices, but God lets you develop a thought about something when you're fellowshipping with Him. You know what struck me? It's like the Lord said, I, I, who said I lied to you? I didn't lie to you. He's Jewish. Don't forget the Lord is a Jew. <laughs> he's slick. I'm telling your neighbor, he's slick. You know what he said? It's impossible for me to lie. But when I need a lie told, I know how to get one told. Would you like a verse? And I'm closing. I'm done in three minutes. Would you like a verse? First Kings 22. God wanted to wipe out Ahab, the bad Jewish king. Remember, so he has a conference up in heaven looking for ideas. Oh, what about this? I forget about it. How about this? I forget about it. One little spirit says, wait a minute. I'll go down there and be a lying spirit in Ahab's prophet's mouths. And I'll tell them everything they want to hear. Remember Rocky? Go for it. The Lord says, good idea, go for it. And down those, that lion spirit went, got into the mouths of Ahab's prophets and told him, you're going to win the victory. And he gets wiped out. God got him dead as a hammer. And he used the lion spirit to do it. Now, don't, don't bother me. I'm, if I'm dreaming, do not wake me up. This makes me happy. But the little voice in my heart said, let me think, you know, I could have used that same lion spirit with you. You didn't need those stinking books, but I wasn't going to tell that to you because that would be a lie. 
Isn't he wonderful? And I'm all done now. But you know what? He's going to take care of you the same way. By the way, if you've got any problems with your children now or anybody, my five, my, those five grandchildren, the three oldest ones, were estranged from their dad. Sometimes that happens in divorce. The other spouse turns the kids away. You know how that goes. And, they, and they had, my son wanted to see his three grandchildren. One of them had, a, baby, had, had a, a new baby born. He had a grandson. And they, they, they wouldn't see him. He wanted to see him for Christmas, and it broke his heart. That might have been what killed him. You never know, right? But I'll tell you one thing, neighbor. I was at the coffin when those five grandchildren came in, one carrying the baby, and they were in Shock City. They didn't know that daddy they turned down was going to be gone in just a few days. We never know what's going down. There is but a step between me and death. I'm all done. Pastor, why don't you come? Maybe the Lord spoke to your heart tonight about something. He, he's good. He'll take you through stuff. But you better be spiritual enough to be ready for what He puts on you. You better make sure all your relationships are as right as they can be because you never know what's going to happen. One second, they can be gone. Enoch walked with God. It was not for God took him. Thank you for being so uh, considerate tonight. And let me speak a little longer than normal. Brother Caleb, would you take the service?